said, I think it was said a few weeks ago when we were here before, and Justin said a little bit ago that I serve currently as a district superintendent, which means we get to do all kinds of things with all kinds of people and churches scattered across Indiana and Illinois. It's pretty often or pretty common in a typical day to get all kinds of questions. Uh, the days can start out with uh, an HR question. Someone will call and ask some sort of human resources sort of a question. Uh, there may be a question about finances. Well, how do we manage budgets? There may be a question about legal matters or tax matters. Most of that stuff gets shunt- shunted over to Kathy because that's kind of her area of expertise, that finances and legal and tax stuff. There may be some sort of a, a theological question that comes up. There's always questions about how do we become more effective at being who Jesus wants us to be as a church, and, and how do we grow our church, and how do we embrace the lostness of the communities around us. There's questions about relational dynamics, and the list just goes on and on. But, but, you know, in the midst of all of those questions, there's a common theme. And the theme that underlies and kind of brings all of these together is simply, what am I supposed to do? How do I make decisions? How do I make decisions that are consistent with who God is and who God wants me to be? It doesn't matter whether I'm interacting with children, which isn't all that often for me, or teens, which is a little bit more frequent, but adults or even seniors. It doesn't matter if I'm working with people that are vocationally employed in ministry environments or lay leaders or people that are beginning to think that maybe God is asking them to do something with their life to serve Him first and serve the church second, whether that be in a volunteer role or a vocational role. It doesn't matter if it's small churches or medium-sized churches or large churches. Everybody seems to have questions. They'll often sit with Kathy and I and say, so how do we know what God wants us to do with our lives? You know, and over the years, I think we've come back with all kinds of answers, and, and certainly Kathy and I have said more than once, particularly to couples that we're interacting with, we can't tell you how you'll know, but we know that you'll know that God just brings it home. And it becomes part of who you are, and, and that's good. And I suspect that over the years, in fact, I would go beyond suspect, I would say I know that over the years I have given the advice that probably thousands upon thousands of Christians have given to other Christians over the years. Well, one way to know God's will is to not sit still but to keep moving. You know, a, a, a ship that isn't moving can't be steered. A horse that isn't running can't be uh, controlled by the bridle, all of those kinds of analogies. So, so charge forward, look for open doors, and, and go through those open doors until God shuts the door, and then he'll divert you, and you'll go off in another direction. And I know I've given advice like that to people. <clears throat> but the older I get and the longer I live this lifestyle of communion with Jesus and communion with our Father and keeping step with the Spirit, I realize that that's not exactly the best way to live our lives. I'm not saying it's totally ineffective. I just don't think it's the best. I kind of think of that as a just-in-time kind of lifestyle. Sometime back in the 70s or 80s, I think it was more in the 80s, some of the manufacturing firms in the United States began to use a just-in-time mentality of manufacturing. They found out that they didn't have to warehouse or store hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars worth of inventory of parts for the product that they were building. But rather, if they located their factories, the final construction or assembly factories, in a place 
where they could bring all of the goods, all of the parts in on a daily basis with trains and trucks and whatever else they were using to transport them in. They could have a flow of parts in and just in time, the parts would get there and they'd assemble them into the final product and out the door it would go. Well, that's kind of how we live our lives as Christians a lot of the time. When we have an urgent need in our life, whatever it may be, an urgent question, a big decision to make, we go to God just in time. And we call our friends and we call our family around us and we say, let's pray together that God will give us an answer for this question, this challenge, this problem, this opportunity that we have in front of us. And again, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But I think God wants to offer you something better than that. I think he wants to offer you a way to live life so that it becomes more natural. That making the big decisions isn't a just-in-time kind of an activity, but it becomes more of a lifestyle for you. It's not reactionary. Jesus prayed, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Isn't that a great prayer? I mean, think about that. The, the unity, the connectedness, the, the oneness of Jesus the Son and Jesus the Father. And, and Jesus is praying, Father, just like you and I are one, I want all of our people, all of you that are sitting here today who walk in faith with Jesus, he is praying for you and saying, I want you all to be one with me and you, Father to live in intimacy with one another, to be together, to to walk out life together. That's Jesus' desire. When vibrant and active, this kind of a lifestyle means it's God our Father, it's God the Savior. Of course, in the Alliance, we say the Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. It's it's Jesus the Son. It's, It's God's indwelling spirit so enmeshed within our lives that we recognize and we understand His voice when he speaks to us. Now, when I say that, people often say, you mean God actually audibly speaks to you? Well, I've never had that happen. But there are times when I know it is God's voice in my heart, my spirit. Sometimes it comes through the written word, obviously. But I know it's God. It's those moments when I'll say something to somebody and and walk away and say, wow, where did that come from? Because it's not the way I think. It wasn't premeditated. It's it's not the way I process information, yet I gave an answer to someone. I made a statement to somebody. And I walk away knowing that God spoke to me and allowed me to speak those words to someone else. God wants to live in that kind of a lifestyle with you. Well, how do we get started with that? It's not like we just turn the key one day and, and all of a sudden we're off and running. But, but we do have to make a decision. We have to make a decision to enter into a lifestyle of intimacy with our Father. We listen, we obey, we grow, and then we fail. And we start all over again. And the cycle continues. The beauty is it doesn't matter where you are in your Christian walk. It doesn't matter the level of your faith. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many hours or week or, I'm sorry, hours or minutes you spend in the Bible or in prayer every week. You can start wherever you are and begin to deepen your relationship with God our Father and begin to listen for His voice within your spirit. 
you can come, become better at living a vibrant and an active life in step with God himself. Joshua was a man who lived this lifestyle. This is a man thrust into leadership, thrust into servanthood, serving God's people, leading God's people forward as Moses exited the scene. He faced extraordinary circumstances and challenges which required extraordinary decisions. I think it's interesting that in the opening chapter of Joshua, the very first sentence, chapter 1, verse 1, we read, and the Lord said. And then it's repeated over and over and over again throughout the entire book. God was speaking to Joshua. And Joshua was responding. In those first few verses, it, it says, And the Lord said, and he told Joshua three times, Be strong and courageous. In fact, one was be strong and very courageous. God was giving Joshua instruction about his role, his life, and what he was supposed to do. And we could take a look at a variety of, of events in the life of Joshua, but I want to focus just on one this morning, and that's the Battle of Jericho. I mean, we've all heard of that. You've heard probably... Bible study teachers and small group leaders and preachers and all sorts of different people teach or preach or talk through this story of the Battle of Jericho. In fact, I think there's even a few songs out there about it, right? But I want to take a look at that today and explore a little bit of what took place in that day or that time as they approached the city of Jericho. Remember, they just crossed over the Jordan River. A miraculous event took place. The Jordan got stopped. A little bit similar to the parting of the Red Sea when the waters parted, but this was a little bit different. They walked through. They're on the other side. They're on the plains of Jericho. They're looking towards the city of Jericho. And in chapter 5, in verse 13, we pick up where Joshua is out. Now, I don't know whether he's out um, looking for some solitude, a quiet time, whether he's on a reconnaissance mission, if he's out looking over the city trying to figure out well, what's it going to look like for us to enter into battle, to take this city because God has given it to us? I don't know what he's there for. But in verse 13, we see, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Joshua was maintaining a posture of awareness. He had other things on, in his mind. He had another reason to be there. We don't know exactly what it was, but, but suddenly, whether it was just an inner sense, whether it was a noise, whether something happened, but suddenly he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him. And it's not just an ordinary man, but it's a man with a drawn sword. Now, for most of us, that would cause us a bit of pause. We'd probably step back a little bit. Maybe we'd even turn and run. I don't know. But Joshua didn't do that. He exercised courage. Remember, in the first chapter, the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. In fact, be very courageous. He exercised courage. And he stepped up to the man and he said, are you for us? Or are you against us? Are you a friend? Or are you an enemy? We'll know in the next sentence that this is a man who came as the commander of the Lord's army. Whenever you begin to seek the face of God and ask him to speak to you, you need to be ready. You need to be aware. And you're likely going to need to exercise courage. Because messages coming from God are often frightening. 
They shake us to the very core of who we are. Because our God is not a timid God. And our God will ask us to do things that we never imagined or thought about. In fact, it's coming in Joshua's life. In verse 14, after Joshua asked the question, Are you our friend or are you an enemy? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Some of the commentators say this is an incarnate Jesus. I don't know. Some say it's an angel. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. It's a messenger from God. It's the commander of the Lord's army. It's a God-sent messenger. And I think it's interesting to see how Joshua responded. The first thing that he did is he fell down in reverence to the ground. It says face down to the ground in reverence. As soon as he recognized that this was a messenger from God. The next thing he did is he asked, what do you have for me? Reverence, and then a question. And then the commander of the Lord's army responds in an interesting way. You'd think this would be the time when he'd come out would be something very astute, very, very important, very significant. What does he say? Hey, Joshua, take your shoes off. Why? Because this is a holy place. You see, whenever we seek God's face, when we invite him into our lives, when we begin to enjoy a sense of intimacy with him and we expect him to answer us as we interact with him, it becomes a holy space. It becomes a holy time. It becomes holy ground. Joshua recognized this. And he did exactly as the commander told him. But then comes the instruction. Then comes the word of the Lord, or the word from the Lord, whichever way you want to look at it. At the beginning of chapter 6, there's just one quick statement about the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. But then the word of instruction. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Nothing's happened yet. And yet the Lord says, Joshua, don't worry about it. The city is yours. Verse 3 of chapter 6, he says, March around this city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. Now, let's be honest. Isn't this a crazy out-of-the-box plan? I mean, this is nuts, right? Think about it. God has said, I've, I've given you this land. This is to be your land. You're going to have to conquer some cities along the way. You're going to have to conquer some people along the way. Sounds a little harsh, but it's, it's the Father's plan. So they get to the first city that they have to overtake, and God says to Joshua, no, I don't want you to go to war. I don't want you to enter into a battle. 
I want you to take all of the people and I want you to march around the city for six days, carrying the ark, some of the priests carrying the ark, other priests blowing on the ram's horns, and all of the armed men, with all of the people, it says, traverse the city six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times, and then right at the end, I want the priests, the, the ram's horns, to blow the horns. And when that happens, I want everybody to shout. And then the walls are going to come down, and then you can just walk into the city because it's yours. Now think about that. Would you believe that if God told you to do that? That's crazy. It's way outside of the norm. And yet whenever we begin to lean into our God and ask Him to speak to us and reveal to us His will, when we begin to sync our hearts with His and understand what His mind is, what His plan is, often He will ask us to do things that don't make a lot of sense, at least from a human perspective. But Joshua was connected with God. Three or four times, I guess four times, in Joshua up to this place, in the, in the passage, we read, and the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord spoke to Joshua. And so what does Joshua do? Chapter 6, verse 6, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. Let's get ready to go. He followed through wholeheartedly. He didn't hesitate. He didn't back away. He said, this is what we're supposed to do. And then the beginning of verse 7, and he ordered the people advance. It's interesting, in my Bible anyways, advance is a capital A with an explanation point at the end of it. We look at that and we say, it's a leader leading, right? Advance, let's take this city in the way that God told us to. My question is, is it really a leader leading or is it a follower following? I think it's a follower following. A follower of God following God's instructions far more effective than just a leader leading as long as it's the right person that we're following. Verses 8 to 20, I'm not going to read it, implementation. The process starts. They begin to move around the city. They do the six circles. They, they get to the seventh, and of course we know what happens at the end. But, but imagine with me for just a few moments what that must have been like for all of the people that were walking around the city. Six days, with a steadfastness, they circled the city for six days. They get to the seventh day, and then they realize victory. You know, chapter 4 and verse 13, it says the, there were 40,000 battle-ready warriors. Now, I don't know if any of you have been around battle-ready warriors. Some of us guys think we are all the time, even though we're not, but... But can you imagine what they were thinking? From the privates to the lieutenants to the captains to the colonels to the generals. I got to believe that they were walking around the city going, come on, Joshua, just turn us loose. We've got this. We're ready. We'll take the city. What is this foolishness that we're walking around the outside of the city listening to horns and walking and maybe praying? I don't know what we're doing, but... But Joshua, just let us loose. We'll take this place. It won't even be a big battle. We're ready. We're anxious. We're hungry for this. Just let us go. But Joshua said no. Why? Because he was absolutely convinced 
that the best plan of action was to do exactly what his father told him to do, to follow his father's instructions, his father's voice. You see, the people, particularly these soldiers, I believed were absolutely convinced that victory was theirs. It was theirs. It just came in an unexpected way. Victory was achieved. God was glorified. But it was delivered in God fashion, not man fashion. A significant difference. An extraordinary plan, an extraordinary outcome. I was reading through this a number of years ago, and all of a sudden it hit me. This was never done before. No one had ever captured a city in the same way as God instructed Joshua to lead the children of Israel to capture this city. There were no books to read. There were no plans to follow. There were no examples to to study or examine. They were all on their own. They just had to do whatever God told them to do. And there are times in our lives when the same thing will happen to us. There are times when we will have to do things that no one has ever done before. Now, most of us love reproducible models. We love to see where someone else has tried things and they've been effective and it's been successful. And and so we go grab that and we transplant it into our environment and we do the same thing. It's kind of what the programmatic side of church is. Again, nothing particularly wrong with that. And lots of great and wonderful and good and God-honoring things have happened and lots of lives have been changed. But, But never be afraid, or I encourage you to not be afraid, to once in a while, as God speaks, when he speaks, try the things that no one else has ever done. The other thing I find extraordinary about this is it was never done again. At least it's not recorded in Scripture. I mean, wouldn't you think that since this was a pretty successful campaign to take this city and no one was really injured on the Israelite side of the equation that they would do the same thing in the following cities, but they didn't. They engaged in more traditional battles. Why? Because God chose this time, this method, this point and said, this is what I want to happen. Imagine if a victory like that took place in our society today. Seminars would be given, books would be written, made-for-TV movies would be produced. I mean, it'd be all over, right? This is the way you do church. One time, there will be times in your life when God says, I want you to do this, and it's only one time. I'm going to allow you to do it this way. Don't be discouraged by that, but be encouraged. Lean into Jesus. Trust him in the process. I want to live like this. I suspect a lot of you do too. Kind of living on the edge, leaning into God, listening to him, understanding what he's saying, and and then moving forward in ways that may seem a little odd or out of step with tradition, but, but certainly are in step with exactly who he is. Well, how do we get started with that? You know, as I said before, you, you can get started, but we're going to start and fail and start and fail. And, and I think it starts with a posture. And I think Joshua gave us an idea, or their word gives us rather, an idea of Joshua's posture. I think in the folder that you had this morning, there's some notes there. You can fill in the blanks in a couple places, but most of this is going to be there. There's four points that I want to, want to highlight for you as we conclude today about Joshua's lifestyle posture. Number one, he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. 
And we can go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. I believe it's going to be up here in front of us. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him so that the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. I was reading that even early this morning, and I saw that again, uh, that he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. And, and it's easy to stop right there, but then I saw it because Moses had laid his hands on him. And early this morning, I had in my mind the picture of, of this room, and I had these kneeling benches. It just became very evident in my mind. I've been here multiple times, and I've seen people come and, and kneel at the benches. And I know that your practice often is to lay hands on one another as you're praying for, for one another. And I want to encourage you to, to don't stop that, but increase that, whether it's at these kneeling benches, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in some sort of a spontaneous situation, whether it's to address a need in someone's life, whether it's to commission someone for a new ministry endeavor, whether it's to send them out to someplace, even far-off places. Lay hands on one another. This is the church in action. Now, none of us are a Moses. I get that. But we're all filled with the same spirit that... Moses had at his disposal. Let's lay our hands on one another and pray for the spirit of wisdom for each other that we might walk in step with the Holy Spirit. The second thing, he obeyed and followed God wholeheartedly. This time from Numbers chapter 32, verses 11 and 12. Of all of those I rescued from Egypt, no one who is 20 years old or older, obviously God is speaking, will ever see the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for they have not obeyed me wholeheartedly. The only exceptions are Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Wonderful passage. Everybody else had diverted from following God, but Caleb and Joshua. Now I know that Scripture is complete. It cannot be added to. It cannot be taken away. But imagine with me for just a moment that we could put an addendum in here. And I know I'm, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm not trying to push the window. Don't, don't think I'm doing it. I'm not adding new revelation, nothing like that. But just for a moment, imagine with me that we could add something in here that would go like, the only exceptions are Linda and Sam, Beth and Steve, Mike and Audrey, Hopefully I've hit some names that are sitting here in the room today. And Caleb and Joshua. For they followed me wholeheartedly. Don't you want to live your life that way? Following God wholeheartedly. As a part of your lifestyle. Not just something you do once in a while. Or periodically. Number three. He lives life securely within the presence of God. This comes from the very first chapter of Joshua. God is speaking to Joshua, that first discourse when he's speaking to Joshua. He says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is where he talked about being strong and courageous. The beauty of this is, is that promise is active and alive for every one of us. God says he will not abandon us. He will not fail us. He will not forsake us. He is always with us. Some of the others we have to make a decision about. This one we don't. God is with you every place that you go, every event in your life, everything that happens to you. 
God is there with you. Embrace that. Realize that. Understand that. Recognize it. Open yourself up for what he has for you. And then the fourth point is he was immersed in the word. Again, from chapter 1, verse 8 of Joshua. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Now, I can't guarantee that Joshua lived his life this way. He might have. I think he did. I shouldn't say he might have. I'm absolutely convinced that he did. But this was an instruction that Joshua received from God, and so I can't guarantee that he lived his life this way, but it certainly appears that he did. Thirty-plus years ago, I used to meet on a Monday morning with a couple of men for prayer, and one of those guys' name was Bill Wooden. He's a big barrel-chested guy. I don't know, probably 10 or 12 years ago or something like that, he went to be with the Lord for all of eternity. But Bill was just a great guy, big, strong guy, and we'd pray, and the tears would just flow down his cheeks as he prayed before God for God's people and all that was taking place in the life of the church that we were a part of in those days. I still remember the day when I was beginning to wrestle with the idea. At that time, I was in the corporate world, hadn't moved into vocational ministry, and we're beginning to wrestle with the idea that maybe God was asking us to make a major shift in our lives. And I remember Bill looking at me one day as he came up off of his knees. It was our posture then. We were on our knees in front of a pew in a church. He came up off of his knees, and he looked at me, and he says, John, never forget, be a man of the book. Eagle, church. Men and women, be women and men of the book. Immerse yourself in it on a daily basis and allow the living word to shape and mold the innermost parts of your character and your being. Joshua was a man who was filled with the spirit of wisdom, who chose obedience and following the will of God. I could probably add the voice of God who knew the word of God, who lived life securely within the presence of God. That was his lifestyle posture. Joshua is a man that when God showed up, Joshua recognized him. When God spoke, Joshua heard and understood him. When God directed, Joshua believed, trusted, and obeyed him. That's the posture of the lifestyle of Joshua that enabled him to make extraordinarily important decisions in the midst of extraordinary times when challenges and problems and opportunities were presented to him. I encourage you to lean into that kind of a lifestyle, making extraordinary God-led decisions requires living lives that mirror the lifestyle of Joshua. I encourage you to settle for nothing less than a lifestyle of intimacy with your God. And as you decide to follow him wholeheartedly, no matter what comes in life, distance yourself from the reactionary just-in-time style of relationship with our God. Embrace an ongoing, growing, intimate lifestyle of interaction with him. The decisions that come in life will still be tough. They'll still be hard. 
but you'll find solutions and answers in a different way. And I'm absolutely sure there'll be a sense of inner peace that precedes the decision and as well surrounds the decision as he forms it within your spirit. Father, we want to thank you for the wonder of who you are and the reality that you want to be involved in our lives. Well, I pray for the people of Eagle that you would continue to mold them into your image. And the Father, you would continue to offer yourself to them as a partner in life, willing to walk out every step, every moment, every aspect. Father, may the people of Eagle be people who hear, understand, obey, and embrace the instructions, the answers to questions that you provide for them. Father, thank you for meeting us here today. As always, we bow before you with power and authority in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.